This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Dear radio listeners, today as we conclude our study of the life of Joseph, we turn to the last chapter in the book of Genesis, Genesis 50, verses 14 through 21, with our focus especially on what Joseph says in verse 20 to his brothers. As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. These words of Joseph state an important biblical truth, the truth of God's sovereign providence. The Bible teaches that God has absolute control over all things and over every event in the history of this world. There is no creature that can move and not a thing that can happen apart from the will of God. He determines even the evil deeds of wicked men, and he uses all these things to accomplish his eternal purpose in the salvation of his chosen people through Jesus Christ. That's the essence of the truth that Joseph states here. But understand, this is not simply a doctrinal statement. Joseph doesn't sit in a classroom or at a desk and study the Bible to come up with this truth. Rather, it is spoken in the context of the experiences of his life. It is a confession that he makes as a believer in response to the difficulties and troubles that have come to him in his life. Here we see that truth matters in very practical ways. That what you believe has an effect on how you respond to real life situations. Instead of Joseph becoming bitter and vengeful, And getting back at his brothers, he forgives them because he realizes that though his brothers intend evil against him, God was sovereign and had a greater purpose in the events of his life. Joseph responds to God. These are words that Joseph spoke to his brothers after their father, Jacob, had died. For 17 years, Jacob and his family lived in Egypt. All this time, Joseph continued in his position of authority as the governor of Egypt. When Jacob died, Joseph and his brothers, as well as a host of Egyptians, took the body of Jacob back to the land of Canaan to bury it there with the bones of Abraham and Isaac. After this, they returned to Egypt. And then we read this in Genesis 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil that we did unto him. There are several things going on here. First, the brothers are still dealing with the guilt of what they had done to Joseph. Even though 17 years have passed, they still feel extremely guilty for the evil they committed. Second, They judged Joseph by themselves. In their thinking, the only reason that Joseph has been kind to them to this point is that their father was still living. 
that because of Jacob's presence, Joseph avoided causing a disruption in the family. And so third, they act irrationally. And what is irrational is their fear of Joseph. For 17 years, Joseph had cared for them and showed them forgiveness. There was peace in this family. And just now they had come from a family funeral in unity and with great hope in the covenant promises of God to them as a family. But all the while, these men, plagued by their guilt, were afraid of Joseph. They are so afraid of him that rather than going to him themselves, they send a messenger to him. Verses 16 and 17. They sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Was this a lie, or were they telling the truth? Were they making something up in order to manipulate Joseph? Or did Jacob, their father, actually say these words? Well, we don't know the answer to that question. And the answer is really not that important. To Joseph, it made no difference. More important is what the brothers were communicating to him in these words. And that's what Joseph heard. What were they saying? There were three things. One, they were openly confessing their sin to Joseph as they never had before. You see that in the candid words that they used to describe what they had done. Twice they call it trespass. Once they use the word sin and once the word evil. They don't use mild and indirect language. They don't call their sin a mistake or a lapse in judgment as it is so often done today. And up to this point in the story of Joseph, we haven't read such an open confession from the brothers of their sin. Maybe because of the grace of forgiveness in Joseph's heart, this hadn't been necessary. But the brothers, because of their continued guilt, need to do it now. And that brings us to the second thing in what they say to Joseph. Twice they plead with him, Forgive us, forgive us. This is a cry that comes from guilt-ridden hearts. They experience the graciousness and the kindness of Joseph, but they want forgiveness affirmed to them. And then third, they speak to Joseph as believers. Joseph hears that from them too. They say, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. These words express their true humility and repentance. Like David in Psalm 51 Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and in thy sight done this evil. They repent before God. They, keep, they come before him as lowly servants. And these are the things that Joseph hears. Irrational as their behavior and their fear are, Joseph sees that his brothers are still hurting because of the pain of their guilt. He understands that they need to have his forgiveness affirmed to them. And so he responds with grace. When the messenger comes to Joseph with 
word from his brothers, Joseph weeps. And when his brothers hear this, they come bowing before him, saying, We are thy servants. And Joseph weeps again. Why does he weep? Why is he sad? It's because his brothers are afraid of him. Because they still come bowing before him, treating him as a ruler and not as a brother. He loves them. He has forgiven them. And in his view, the relationship is completely restored. But they are afraid. They still feel estranged. This is what makes Joseph weep. That's clear from the answer that he gives to them in which he repeats the words, Fear not. His answer is, Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me. I have forgiven you completely. He wants them to know this. And so in verse 21, at the end of his words to them, he affirms his forgiveness by telling them that he will not repay them evil, but will continue to nourish them and their little ones. And verse 21 also says that he comforted them and spake kindly to them. He overflowed and abounded in words of love and forgiveness to them. But there's something unique about his forgiveness. And that's what we see in verses 19 and 20. He doesn't just look at his brothers and say, I've forgotten it, we will go on from here as brothers as though it didn't happen. That's something that was really impossible to do. What's unique is that Joseph responds not just to his brothers on the horizontal plane, but before God on the vertical plane. And doing this, he commits to God's care what his brothers had done. And he confesses that God intended these things to happen. And so he refuses to be bitter against them. That's what's amazing here. The sovereignty of God overrules the evil that his brothers have committed. Joseph gives his brothers two reasons not to be afraid of him. The first is in verse 19 where he says through tears, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Now certainly Joseph could have played God here. The Egyptians had hailed him as the savior of the world. And at this time, he was pretty much the most powerful man on earth. To play God in his brother's lives and to execute a little divine justice in behalf of God here would have been very tempting. But Joseph, because of his clear view of God and of himself as a man before God, had no desire to get back at his brothers. He understood that the righting of the wrongs done against him was not his to administer. And so he committed it to him who was faithful. He left it in God's hands. Now how often aren't the troubles in our relationships caused by our attempting to be God in the lives of others? We think that we understand justice and we make others pay for the evils that they have committed against us. And we justify it in the name of justice. Sin, we say, has consequences. And by doing that, we make reconciliation and forgiveness all the more difficult. Whereas the Bible says in Romans 12, verse 19, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And 
See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. Joseph had no desire to play God in the lives of his brothers, and so they had no reason to be afraid of him. A second reason that they need not be afraid is that Joseph believed in the sovereignty of God over their evil and he responded not just to their evil but before God. Doing this he was able to see that God had a good purpose even in the evils that he experienced. Joseph says in verse 20, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now notice, just like his brothers, Joseph doesn't minimize the evil that they had committed. He doesn't say, don't worry, it was nothing, but rather, ye thought evil against me. That evil comes out especially in chapter 37 at the beginning of this story where there is a build-up of hatred that leads to a murderous spirit toward Joseph. They first hate him because he's the favorite son. Then they hate him because of his godliness and honesty. And that hatred intensifies when they hear his dreams sent from God. And so when he comes to check on them, they say, Here comes the dreamer, let's kill him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. They thought they intended evil against him. And their selling him as a slave and lying to their father about it didn't lessen their evil intentions. In their hatred, they wanted him out of their lives, and so they disposed of him. And for 22 years, they lied about it to their father. And Joseph experienced this as evil and hatred too. He cried out from the pit to them for mercy. He toiled in slavery in Potiphar's house. He hurt from iron shackles in prison in Egypt. And the memory of those pains stayed with him even when he became the ruler of Egypt. When his two sons are born, he gives them names that remind him and us of all that he had gone through. In Genesis 41 verses 51 and 52 And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all the toil and all of my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He mentions his toil, the memory of his father's house, and he calls Egypt the land of his affliction. And the pain of it was especially these two things. One, it came from those closest to him, his own flesh and blood. And two, it was completely unjust. He was wronged by his own brothers and it resulted in immense pain for him for many years. But Joseph says to them, Don't be afraid of me. Even though you've done this evil, I understand what you've done. I understand the guilt that you are experiencing, but you see, God meant it for good, and I am responding not to you and what you have done, but to God and what He has brought into my life. 
You remember when Joseph first reveals himself to his brothers 17 17 years earlier in Genesis 45, he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. Here, he reiterates that to them, explaining to them why he has and how he can forgive them. He can forgive them because he sees God as sovereign over the evils he has experienced. In his mind, his brothers and their evil purposes are really not the important thing. Instead, it's that God decreed and planned and brought about what happened to him in his life. In the verse here, there's a parallel between what the brothers did and what God did. In the original Hebrew, it's the same word, something that not all the English translations capture. Joseph says, literally, you planned evil, but God planned good. Even their evil purposes and their deeds were a part of God's plan, God's purpose. We see here that God doesn't merely allow evil to happen and then overturn it, but he includes evil in his plans and purposes. Through the evil, God brings about a greater good. Evil men have one purpose by their wickedness, but God has another. And their evil purposes serve his good purpose. The prophet Amos puts it this way, Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? That's what Joseph is saying. This evil that came on me, God brought on me. He did it, and he did it with a saving purpose. Joseph explains God's good purpose this way. To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now Joseph doesn't mean by those words merely that his family and the Egyptians were spared from starvation during the famine. Rather, he has in mind the salvation of God's covenant people, the preservation of the church, and the keeping alive of the covenant promises of God. This comes out in the last verses of the chapter where on his deathbed he tells his family that God will remember them in Egypt and bring them back to the promised land of Canaan and where he asks to be buried with the patriarchs in Canaan. Joseph sees that God's purpose is salvation, the salvation of his people in the coming seed of the promise, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 tells us that in faith, Joseph made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. In faith, Joseph believed the promise of God, the promise being Christ who would come. He saw Christ afar off and he believed that God was working in everything, even in the evils of his own life, to bring the promised Messiah and through him to bring salvation. That's the beautiful truth here. And in the same way, God also controlled the actions of Satan when he came into the Garden of Eden and drew Adam and Eve into sin. God decreed and purposed that so that Christ could come into a sinful world as Savior. That's also true of the most wicked thing that man has ever done, the crucifixion of the Savior. In Acts 2 verse 23, Peter says to those who had killed Christ, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Notice, just like Joseph, he doesn't minimize the wickedness of what they did. 
they crucified Christ by wicked hands. And when Peter says that, they are pricked to their heart. But at the same time, God determined that they would do this to his son. God, by his decree, which is causative, made it happen. And God sovereignly used their evil to accomplish his purpose in our salvation through the death of his son. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8 that if those who had crucified Christ had known this, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is the sovereignty of God in providence. So why did Joseph have to go through all that he experienced? Why the hatred of his brothers, the life as a slave, the isolation from his family and the imprisonment? Think of Joseph and all the pain that he experienced for so many years. Why? He went through all this for the salvation of God's people. His own salvation, the salvation of his family, and the salvation of the entire church of God. That is why. And God in his decree works out every detail of our lives too with that same saving purpose. In the New Testament, that's summarized in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The first three words of that verse are often overlooked, but are the most important. And we know. Joseph knew. And we know. We know that all things work together for good. How do we know? Because we look up to God. We believe in the sovereign providence of God. Through faith we know. And so no matter what may happen to you in the future, God is in control. The reins will never slip from his hands. Whatever happens is decreed by him. Man may intend evil against you or against God's church and people, but God means it for good. When you can see that from Scripture and say that in connection with your life, it changes everything. If you don't say this, you'll become bitter against people. You'll blow up when things seem out of control, or you'll clam up and withdraw when you're hurt. But when you truly believe this, you'll learn in the troubles of life to respond to God and not to man. Instead of bitterness, will be forgiveness. Instead of anxiety, will be trust and peace. Instead of doubt, there'll be confidence. Instead of paralyzing guilt, a joy in forgiveness. The psalmist says in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Let's pray. Father, we rest in thy power and grace. Thy purposes for us are always good. And by thy power, everything is used for our salvation. Lord, in whatever troubles we experience, give us to believe this and comfort us through this word, we pray. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches 
through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.